everyone, and welcome to the Plant Industry News Podcast, co-hosted by Holly Hughes and Olivia Doyle with the Florida Department of Agriculture and Consumer Services Division of Plant Industry. Thanks for joining us. On today's episode, we'll hear from Dr. Trevor Smith from the Director's Desk. Beginning this month, for the next several episodes, we are excited to announce our collaboration with UF's Department of Agricultural Education and Communication, AEC 4036 class, taught by Dr. Jamie Luitzo. We are starting things off with part one of two with Dr. Paul Skelly, Assistant Chief of DPI's Diagnostic Bureau and head curator of the Florida State Collection of Arthropods. We get people from all over the planet. We have made contacts and friendships and we're collaborating on projects and sitting in a microscope and looking at these weird insects and thinking about, oh my gosh, what does it use that weird structure for? Then stay tuned for news and announcements in the Division Digest. From the Director's Desk with Trevor Smith. Hello, DPI. So June was really packed this year. We had uh, a lot of meetings, uh, a lot of different pest issues. So I just want to kind of bring you up to speed on a, a few of the meetings we had and some of the significant issues that are going on right now. One of the big meetings every June is the annual Florida Citrus Mutual meeting. We had a, a big presence there. We had folks from Budwood. We had folks from PE&C. Uh, we had Greg Hodges there uh, from the director's office. And, you know, that's, that's the meeting where everybody comes together every year just to talk about citrus issues, whether it's marketing or pest issues. Um, and it's a good place for us to have all the growers, uh, all the nurserymen, everybody together to talk you know, citrus. <laughs> so uh, this year, obviously, greening dominated the conversation. Um, it's, we're 10 years in. We've got a lot of best management practices, but we still don't have that silver bullet. But there is a lot of talk and a lot of positive energy out there right now because the box count is going to be so much higher than it was last year. So we went from, you know, in the 40 million boxes last year to in the 70 million boxes this year. So that's great news. And so much of growing and farming is emotional and, and driven by emotion. That's a really important aspect of farming that people don't realize. So if people are feeling good about it, feeling positive about um, you know, the harvest this year, then everybody's willing to put new trees in the ground and replant. And that was a big discussion was how do we replant Florida? And there's a lot of talk now about some different federal programs, federal monies maybe being set aside specifically to replant. And that's something DPI is gonna be really heavily involved in uh, over the next many, many years. We also had the Don't Pack a Pest meeting, and it was actually in Florida this year. And we had all of our partners from CBP and Washington, D.C., and Texas and California. We had our USDA partners there as well, again, from D.C. and other states. Then we had our entire TA staff there, and it was a really great meeting. And for those of you that don't know what Don't Pack a Pest is, I've mentioned it several times, but this is one of those attempts that we've made to actually stop pests offshore so that we don't have to deal with it here. And one of the ways we do that is through signage, 
through videos, through all kinds of outreach materials out there in the Caribbean. We're focused on the Caribbean. Some of the other states are focused on other nations, but we really want to focus on the Caribbean because that is a very clear pathway for pests and diseases to move into Florida. So many years ago, we decided that due to the fact that we have 30, 35 new exotic pests every year in Florida, that we were gonna try and do some, some work offshore and try and stop these things. And that's where Don't Pack a Pest came from. And it's just been a really, really successful operation. We've got signage and videos showing in Suriname, Dominican Republic, the Bahamas, um, Aruba, Panama. I could just keep going down the line. There's, there's a, a lot of different nations, St. Kitts, uh, that we've been involved in and a lot more that we have uh, on the docket uh, for the next five to 10 years. And it's been very successful. It's very well received. It's a good chance not only for us to try and stop people from bringing fruits and vegetables in their baggage, but it's also an, a good opportunity for us to meet with the ministries of agriculture in those countries and discuss those issues, how important it is not to bring even a single mango or a single citrus fruit from one of those islands to Florida because the impact could be huge. And then they can take that in turn and use it with their island partners because they don't want pests moving from one island to another either. So traditionally though, that's what happens. Something shows up in the Caribbean, it works its way up the chain of islands and then shows up in Florida. So this was a strategic planning meeting just to talk about what we wanna do this year and in the upcoming years. Uh, what we wanna focus on as far as the videos, do we need to update them? And I think the general consensus was, yeah, we probably need to update them, but overall it was still very positive. And I'll say this, Florida is just way ahead of the other states. And I, and I, I mean, they're, they're doing great work, but I, one of the thing, takeaways I had from this meeting was Florida really is uh, just leading the way on this. California's doing great work, Texas is doing great work, Oregon's doing great work, but Florida is, is truly the leader in this program. There's absolutely no doubt about it. So that was a, a great meeting and uh, I think we accomplished a lot. We also had the hemp rule workshops this month. And those were the three public meetings where the department introduced the new hemp rule, which DPI has a huge, huge part in. And uh, Jason Stanley and Tyson Emery and Eric Rorig were our three panelists that we sent to each of those meetings and they had about five to 10 minutes in the beginning to give a presentation on what we do at DPI and kind of how the hemp program fits into plant safeguarding. And then for the next half hour or so, our attorney, Alan Charles, just went through the rule line by line. And then for an hour, an hour and a half, we just took questions from the public. And I will tell you from being in many, many different public meetings, town hall meetings. This was the most civil one I think DPI has been involved in in a long time because in the past it's either been citrus canker or a fruit fly program and it's important and we need to have those public meetings and we need the feedback but obviously those are very high stress high tension situations and it it can be a lot more combative 
than these workshops were. I think they went as well as they could have. Lots of information was imparted, and we got a lot of good comments from the public. There's a lot of things that were said that I think we can incorporate into our rule that were just, it was really good. And then on the pest front, one of the things I want to mention that's going on right now that's significant is there is a huge outbreak of Mediterranean fruit fly in Mexico, in southern Mexico right now. Now, unfortunately, that is their tomato, uh, green pepper, mango production area. So there's a lot of production uh, down in that area. And this population is so large that I'm speculating here, but I'm sure the traps were not checked properly. Uh, the, the proper systems approach was not in place. I don't know where the breakdown is or was, uh, but they have over a thousand flies found now in that region. So as we're trying to get more information from the USDA on what's going on down there, from what I've heard, there is that they have begun eradication, but it sounds like they're having to play catch up because that is a huge, huge population already established. So we've alerted our interdiction team, our, our staff up at the interdiction stations. They're specifically targeting any products coming out of the Colima region of Mexico, which is where the outbreak is. And uh, we've alerted our, our uh, grower groups as well that this is something to, to be aware of. And right now we're just waiting to hear from the USDA on what kind of progress is being made. So that's something significant, not within Florida, but could very well impact us if we don't stay vigilant. So that's really what's been going on on the meeting front and the pest front, and I uh, look forward to talking to you again next month. Thanks. When you travel by land, sea, or air, ask, can I bring it, and declare agricultural items. With your help, we can safeguard natural resources and protect the food supply from invasive pests and disease. Whatever your destination, enjoy the journey. So can you go ahead and start by introducing yourself? I'm Paul Skelly, uh, Chief Entomologist uh, at the Division of Plant Industry, and I'm also the Assistant Bureau Chief for all of Diagnostics here at the uh, DPI. Can you explain a little bit about what your educational background is? From kindergarten? I started off in a one-room schoolhouse, and you laugh, I actually did. Uh, I was the, my kindergarten class was the last class in this one-room schoolhouse before we moved to the county school, which was a big conglomerate with grades kindergarten to high school. And, and my kindergarten class picture is actually in a history book in the county where I grew up, for, where they did, they recorded all the last classes of the old one-room schoolhouses. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. It's funny you bring that up. I had forgot about that. <laughs> anyway, after that, I was a, well, my mom wouldn't call me a normal child, but I uh, went through the regular grade school, middle school, high school, and then I went to Eastern Illinois University for my bachelor's degree. I started in engineering and decided I didn't want to do that the rest of my life. So I moved into zoology. My grade point average dropped, but I was happy. 
After that, I got lucky enough to be uh, accepted at the University of Florida, where my graduate assistantship was actually working under uh, one of the, the, the identifiers here, the coleopterist, Robert Woodruff, <clears throat> with, teaching, uh, with teaching assignments also. So I spent my graduate career then here at the University of Florida, where I got my master's, master's and the PhD. As with a lot of students, before my, my uh, graduation date, my funding was cut and I had to find a job. I was lucky enough to get a, a job here at the DPI as a technician where I worked for about 15 years before I was able to then move into a, an entomologist position. Oh, that's really cool. I like to see fellow gator here, so that's awesome. I'm a gator. I'm a gator, I although although you will find uh, some Illinois paraphernalia at uh, <laughs> my desk. Gotcha. So you kind of touched on it a little bit, but what is your role here at the Division of Plate <clears throat> Industry? Currently, historically, the whole ball of wax. Which would you want? We'll go with currently. What okay. are you up to now? Well, currently, my role as the, I'm the head entomologist, so I oversee all the others, and I'm basically, okay, the title is head, but I call myself the facilitator. Okay. The job is to help everybody else perform their jobs, and our jobs are our identifiers of anything that's sent in. Um, I'm the head entomologist, yes, but I'm also the coleopterist, in charge of coleopterist, so I identify the beetles that are sent in. And with appropriate identification, whoever sent the sample in will then have the key to find answers to their questions about it. So the identification is vital for answering any questions. Gotcha. So it's my understanding you're also the head curator of the FSCA, correct? Yes. Gotcha. So what is the Florida State Collection of Arthropods or the FSCA? The FSCA started out as basically a reference collection for the uh, Agricultural Experiment Station, which, which was started out in 1915, I believe it is. Um, and so it was amassed by Edward Berger as, from samples that were sent in to help him use as a reference collection to identify things that were submitted. In the 1950s, in early 60s, there were discussions to merge various state-based state or state-funded entomology collections. The University of Florida had a collection, uh, Florida Museum of Natural History had a collection, and the Department of Agriculture, we had a collection. And we were all in Gainesville. <clears throat> so it was decided to merge all of those insect collections into one collection that everybody would have access to but it would be housed under one roof. And the Department of Agriculture, being that we had the most need for the reference materials and the insect collections, was given that task. Since then, we have built it uh, by our own collection efforts, by our survey efforts, by establishing a, a research associate program. So we collaborate with people around the world, sharing specimens, accepting donations, archiving materials from well-known people who have passed away to make those materials available for any, any legitimate purpose. We 
even though we're within the Department of Agriculture, our mandates are to act as much as we can as an appropriate museum to house and facilitate use of those materials. Gotcha. I can see how that's definitely important, and it, it makes sense that they would all merge together, especially since they were all in Gainesville. We, and, and, yeah, it's, and it's, <clears throat> the, the collection is collection. Now, each of us, each of these different organizations or researchers, everybody may have a different ultimate reason for using the specimens, for gathering the data the specimens have with them, but we all recognize the value of having that information available, of having those specimens there. You know, a lot of times what we do, we, we have to look at historic materials to make judgments for our regulatory cases. University of Florida researchers may not need to look at historical material. They might want to look at more recent material for some of the molecular analysis. But one of the big things we had happen in the 90s was we had a massive fruit fly eradication program. And the first question was asked was, well, are those the same fruit flies? Is that the same genetic strain as what we eradicated in 1929? We had specimens, and they were able to answer that. So mm -hmm. you, you got to tie the, the archival and the current ties together so so readily. It's it's a lot of people don't, they just don't see that, and that's what makes part of our our mission difficult. Is we we strive to make that done, but we're limited in space, we're limited in funding, and so it's it's a constant struggle. And also, it reach out reaching out to people to to help them understand why a batch of dusty old bugs are important. Yeah. But working here at the DPI, we see that importance daily, even much more than a lot of museums or university people. Cool. So for any listeners who may not know, it's called the Florida State Collection of Arthropods. Can you just give a brief, what is an arthropod in case anyone doesn't know? An arthropod is uh, an invertebrate, a type of animal that has no backbone. They have an external skeleton. Um, our collection, even though it's titled arthropods, we have very few things that are not insects, like a crustacean, crawdads, crabs, things like that are an arthropod. Um, but we don't, that's, that's sort of outside of our, our, our uh, most of what we work with. We focus on things that are more terrestrial, like spiders, millipedes, centipedes, insects, those are all invertebrates that have an external skeleton. Thank you. So what do you enjoy most about being the head curator of the FSCA and just playing a role in what seems to be such an important collection? Well, as head, head curator, I don't get as much fun um, with the collection, but working with the collection and the people it brings in to use it. That is, that's relevant. That's a lot of fun there. We get people from all over the planet. We have made contacts and friendships and we're collaborating on projects and sitting in a microscope and looking at these weird insects and thinking about, oh my gosh, what does it use that weird structure for? Yeah. You know, or how does this relate or how does it differ from these other species? It's working with these vast, well, varied peoples on these puzzles. And actually, I, I realized that a year or two ago. My family, whenever the family gets together, we typically have a jigsaw puzzle on the dining room table, which, okay, it's Christmas time. You walk by it. You just want to chill for a while. You sit and you work on the puzzle. It's just you rotate in and out and you work on a puzzle. Working with these arthropods, 
to take all of these random bits of data, all of these different specimens, and arrange them into something where you form a picture, you form a hypothesis, you, you gain an understanding of it. It's like solving a mystery. It's like finishing a jigsaw puzzle. There's, there's some feeling of accomplishment, and it's just a drive. It's just, I got to finish this, right? So I, I can sort of equate those needs. So I can come to work and work, come to work and look at these bugs and work on my jigsaw puzzle. That's really cool. That's a really unique way to look at it. That's, that's super cool. So where has your work taken you? I know I saw the um, Division of Plant Industry put a blog post about your recent trip to Brazil. And when we were talking, it seemed like you've been quite a few places. I've been to a number of countries in my career, which isn't over yet. Hear, hear me, boss. Um, every one of those trips was ultimately for slightly different reasons. Um, I, yes, I'm involved with lots of projects. And some of these trips were related to those projects. Some of them were sort of exploratory to find, to go to the countries where I had a colleague to see what the situation was like there, what the logistics were like, what the permitting process was like. Would we be able to do, you know, a local project and work with that country? So some of them were, like I said, exploratory, where we had fun, get hooked up with our colleagues. You take us out to various excited, exciting remote places to, to sample for some insects and uh, make new discoveries. Others, like the Brazil trip, was actually an invited trip where the university uh, in Mato Grosso had funds to bring experts in to work on their collection. And so my colleague there uh, and I managed to get approval to bring me there for three weeks. And I spent basically three weeks in the museum identifying all the materials of the group that I worked on. We did take off on the weekends to go see some countryside and, and interesting stuff. But that, you know, so there's, there's different reasons for the different trips. Um, the one thing I've, I've also thought with approaching these trips in that way is only the first couple of my trip to South America were actually hooked up with tourist industry. I get hooked up with colleagues and we go see how the country really works. We're not out in the front where everything is catered for you and all the perfect food and you're in the five-star hotels and you go to the to the most pristine sightseeing place on a cruise ship. No, man, we're out sweating it, hiking through pastures and seeing the lay of the land and seeing how people really live in those countries. It's hugely educational. And, and if anybody can do that sort of travel, get outside of a group of your peers and go and work with the colleague in a country, I strongly recommend it. Definitely a different way of travel than most are used to. So what have you liked most about being able to travel for your research? Is it just seeing that part of a country that is relatively untouched or what do you like the most That's, about that? Seeing the countryside is is wonderful, no doubt. And I'd go, I'd go back to any place I'd been again. What makes all of these trips exciting for me, including the one where I'm stuck in a dusty museum, is the thrill of discovery. Finding something you've never seen before or knowing enough about it to say, oh my gosh, nobody has ever seen this before. Finding that, that we'll call it a, that trophy. 
in, in the field, when you find it, you learn something about what it does, and you're just gaining that knowledge. So for me, it's a thrill of discovery. So I know that we talked about some that you've di actually discovered and named some um, specimen. Species, species, yes, yes. That's really cool. Can you tell us a little bit about um, maybe a specific species that you've named or something that you've discovered and what's what that process is like? First, got to know enough about the group to, to realize it's something different. And a lot of people seem to be afraid to think of things as new species. And I hate to jump to saying it's a new species, but when you get familiar with something, with the group and know all the species, and something comes across your desk that just doesn't fit the pattern. Now we're back to that puzzle. Here's a piece that doesn't fit. What is going on? Is it for the wrong puzzle? Did, I've had puzzles where they had extra pieces, right? It's the same sort of thing. What is going on with this? And eventually, after you look at these things and study them, you realize this species, or this represents a new species that has never been described before. So at that point, depending on what it is, if it's, if it's, if it's something that I am not one of the, you know, the experts in, we contact colleagues because we could have made a mistake. You know, people who are definitely more knowledgeable, and we let them sort of handle the description of those new species because that's their group. But if it's in my group and I can find the time to write the description, then that's basically what it is. It's, it's like a school report. Here's this thing. It's, it's almost formalized. Well, it is. It's formalized. It's a formal way that you present the taxonomic hypothesis. This species which you are naming is a hypothesis based on all this information you present along with documentation as to where those specimens are located because science is supposed to be reproducible. Mm -hmm. So with that paper published, somebody else who wants to learn what the species is knows where their specimens to study. They have the full reasoning behind why I felt it was a new species. And they can come and question it. They can say, Paul, we think you were full of baloney. We don't think that's a new species. So with your description and your specimens, we're going to do that study again and come up with our own conclusions. So science will, if you did good job and it stays with what's known and we don't get new data to throw it out the window, it's science. So I can do that. I've done that a number of times. We get some fun in that proposing the name is where we can, it's, it's a very, how do I phrase this? It's very, in many, in many fields of biology, new species are not that frequent. So it's a really prestigious thing to pr propose a name for species. In entomology, we have so many, so many things that at times it's like, I I've got so many new species, what am I going to name them all? We hope you enjoyed part one of the interview with entomologist Paul Skelly. Stay tuned for the remainder of the interview in next month's episode as he digs deeper into the process of naming species. If you want to hear more similar content produced by students from Dr. Lewitso's class, visit www.streamingscience.com. Speaking of the FSCA, check out our blog post on how to start your own insect collection at home. 
Blog posts cover a variety of topics and are posted regularly at fdaxdpi.wordpress.com. This is the Division Digest. This month, we are excited to celebrate the ever-expanding DPI family. We would like to give a warm welcome to our new employees, Patricia Soria and Maria Velez Clement to Plant Pathology, and Michelle Torado Hernandez to Technical Assistance. We would also like to congratulate the following individuals for their new promotions. Charlie Gonzalez to the position of Environmental Supervisor 2, Region 3 Administrator. Charlie has been with the division since 1996 when he started as an OPS Agricultural Technician and shortly after was promoted to a field supervisor position. In 2000, Charlie was promoted to Agricultural and Consumer Protection Specialist with the Bureau of Pest Eradication and Control, where he was the Control Branch Director for the Southeast Florida Citrus Canker Eradication Program. In 2006, Charlie was hired by the Bureau of Plant and Apiary Inspection as an Environmental Supervisor 1. In addition, he has served as a first responder and regulatory director on several emergency programs, including 2010 Medfly in Boca Raton, 2010 Medfly in Pompano Beach, and 2015 Oriental Fruitfly in Redlands and the Giant African Land Snail Program. Dr. John McVeigh to his new role as Plant Pathology Section Head. John has served as the molecular biologist in the plant pathology section since 2018. He obtained his Bachelor of Science degree in zoology from the University of Texas at Austin, his Master of Science degree in biology from Texas Tech University, and his PhD in biology from Louisiana State University. John also worked as a postdoctoral associate and research scientist at Duke University for several years. Next, we'd like to recognize Anna Gourlay for her promotion to Region 1 Area 2 Supervisor based in Tavares. Anna holds a master's degree in environmental engineering sciences from the University of Florida and a bachelor of science degree from Drexel University in Philadelphia. For the past three years, Anna has been an inspector for one of the busiest exporting districts in Apopka, where she signed up the first and currently only Florida nursery in the new United States Canada Greenhouse Grown Plant Certification Program. Lastly, we want to congratulate Lee Jun Hay on her new role as Administrative Assistant 2. Lee Jun previously served as the Accountant 1 in Fiscal. Congratulations, Lee Jun, on your promotion. Thanks for tuning in to Plant Industry News. We appreciate our special guests for keeping us informed and updated. Follow us on social media at FDAXDPI. Be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions, suggestions, or announcements you think should be included, email us at dpi-blog at freshfromflorida.com. This podcast was produced in part by Olivia Doyle and Holly Hughes. Don't bug us. We'll have another episode next month.